Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Ling, Associate Digital Media Producer here at Christianity Today, and I am joined by Editorial Director Ted Olson. Hey, Ted. Hey, Morgan. I'm back. It's nice. Mark is actually back in the building, but I still get to co-host the podcast, which is pretty fun. Three weeks in a row. I know. It's great. It might even be a fourth or fifth week. Yep. Well, there's always stuff to talk about, so it's good. Believe it or not, there is. Okay, so who is our guest today? Our guest today, we didn't have to go very far. We walked down the hall. He's president <laughs> and CEO of Christianity Today, Harold Smith. It's great to be here. Longtime listener, too, huh? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, I have a question for you, Morgan. All right, let's hear it. Okay. Why is it taking you so long to invite me? That's a good question, Morgan. I'm, I'm a guest host, so I, I don't feel All the right, so I'm here. under the hot seat here. <laughs> Okay, Harold. Well, maybe you need to ask me when you're not like in California or Florida. That's right. Touche. Well <laughs> sending us well pictures said. of everything. All right. So, Ted, what are we talking about today? All right. Well, this one, this is why we have Harold here is because this is kind of a complicated week on Quick to Listen. We plan, what are we going to talk about on the podcast? We said, you know, there's this evangelical convocation. I think that's the term that people are using to describe it. An evangelical convocation happening uh, down the road where a number of evangelical leaders are getting together to talk about evangelicalism. And uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at this meeting. Harold's going to be at this meeting. Maybe we'll grab someone, chat about this meeting. Turned out the entire meeting, totally off the record. So not there's stuff to chat about there. But what we wanted to talk about is actually, we, we can, we can kind of mention a little bit of the meeting, but what I wanted to talk about was that this meeting even though there's a lot of uh, there's a there's a Washington Post article before it, there's been a few pieces uh, after it about like what is this meeting? It's not that unusual for just evangelicals to get together and get to know each other better and chat about stuff without necessarily a huge outcome. Well, absolutely, Ted. In fact, I mean it goes back literally decades. In fact, Graham himself was a driver of multiple conferences bringing evangelicals together. In fact, part of the definition, if you will, of uh, denominations making up the evangelical tent, that was all defined by many of these conferences. So absolutely, it's a, it's a part of our DNA. That's a great sneak preview. And I do think that we should start the show with you guys telling our audience everything you can tell them about this event, just because otherwise it sounds a little bit... It sounds Did a little... it exist or not? Did it happen or not? You know, <laughs> we, we just want to be as concrete as possible with what can be out there. But before we get into that, I just want to remind everyone that this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And we have been plugging the Billy Graham issue for the past couple of weeks. It's this really special edition of our publication that Ted himself was in charge of putting together. And Harold actually had a piece that he contributed to. But Harold, I'm curious. Did you have a piece that you loved beyond the one that you wrote? 
Absolutely. And obviously, there's a number of pieces uh, in that book that uh, really spoke powerfully of the Graham legacy. But I think it was Ed Gilbert's piece. He wrote about, uh, you know, breaking down segregation uh, within the context of the Crusades and the role of African-Americans and uh, other uh, minorities in the uh, development of his crusade ministry. And it's powerful to read. Billy contributed to the movement of civil rights, and he showcased that uh, in his crusades. And and Ed sort of lays that all out. Uh, Not everything was perfect, but at the same time, clearly Graham understood that the gospel goes out to everyone. Everyone needed to be in attendance. And we are all sinners saved by grace. So uh, anyways, he demonstrated that in these crusades. And so the power of that witness, that very visible witness, is really what captured my, my imagination. In fact, it challenges us even today as we think in terms of evangelical expression and the need for minority voices. So that's awesome. I'm glad that you appreciated that piece. I want to remind people that you can read that particular piece if they get a copy of the magazine by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. And they can learn more about Christianity Today, Billy Graham, and the civil rights history on episode 103 of Quick to Listen. Ted and I recorded that a couple of weeks ago, and we had some guests that I think did a, you know, shined a pretty big light on talking about the good and bad of this particular movement when it came to the civil rights era. So that's episode 103 if you would like to learn more about CT and civil rights history. All right. So one of you, whomever feels most confident <laughs> in your reporting skills, tell us what happened on Monday and Tuesday at Wheaton College this week. Well, I guess I, I'll take a shot at it. I think uh, if there's a, a phrase uh, that would sort of uh, keynote the two days, it would be a consistent witness. Uh, where have we lived consistently and, and where have we fallen short in the context of where we find the movement today? And so uh, I think as, as an outgrowth of that, I think there was a great deal of confession, repentance going on in terms of our relationship with uh, ethnic communities, in terms of our relationship regarding the role of women. I think that was v- very cathartic, but, but also I think uh, uniformly it brought all in attendance together. So Unlike what uh, several of the the stories, uh, you know, the spin they're trying to put on this, uh, it was actually an intensely personal, intensely communal time of really seeking the face of God and trying to get a sense of, Lord, where have we fallen short and where do we need to go in the days ahead? Yeah, so from what I understand, it was a group of several dozen leaders from across the country. Some of them are going to be leaders in terms of being the heads of institutions, and some of them we might see more as thought leaders or public theologians, people who kind of speak more primarily for themselves, and they were convened here. Can we talk about who convened? Is that on the record? Not so much. I mean, okay. because but partly it was because it was organic. Like, it's really okay. actually, this is actually not unlike a lot of those Graham things back in the day. One would be like the, the Berlin Congress on World Evangelization in 1966 clearly brought together by Billy Graham and Christianity Today. But also, not, not only, there were a number of other stakeholders in, in, in a gathering like that where, you know, CT couldn't have done that, done that gathering alone. There were a number of named and unnamed uh, sponsors for, for that 1966 meeting. This one, 
was way more organic than that. It was uh, people inviting people, in, invitees inviting invitees. And in that way, it was, uh, you know, and there were emails going forth, hey, we should maybe also bring this person, this person. I know originally this was supposed to be a gathering of like a dozen or so people or not, well, more than, than a dozen, and it being several dozen, but still it's a small, a fairly small room, a few tables, just people getting to know each other. You were able to get talk with everyone there. Like if I started listing people who were, who were there and, and not there, you know, I mean, that, that honestly, that's one of the things that happened with some of the media coverage is, you know, some people felt left out, not, not because they're deliberately excluded, but because it's just, it's people, it was like a neighborhood gathering that got some press attention as people expecting something bigger than ever this meeting had, had hoped to be. So this was like uh, a large luncheon more than anything else. So it wasn't that this went over a giant pilgrimage to oppose Trump. Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. In fact, I was looking at my notes just prior to the to the event, and what were my expectations? And you're absolutely right, Ted. This was organically grown. Was simply to listen to my sisters and brothers, and especially those from other ethnic communities. I wanted to hear their heart. Because I think our hearts have to break for them, and we need to know then how do we come alongside them in gospel partnership to advance the kingdom. If there was a hook, it was uh, these questions that we've been talking about on the podcast, ad nauseum, we've been talking about in Christianity, ad nauseum, uh, and that is this word evangelicalism. Does it still mean what we think it means? You know, I wrote this editorial about it in a recent issue of CT. And it's just a lot of different people are answering that question in a lot of different ways and talking past each other. And so it was like, hey, let, uh, let's let's get together and compare notes. That was kind of the initial impulse. That is not actually what the meeting was, but that was the initial impulse as I understand it. And so what it ended up being was um, a lot of like, so who are you and what are you thinking these days was no, kind of the, the answer. That's exactly right. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, reviewing my contacts because I think a number of individuals we met, we may want to reconnect with uh, over time and see how they might even speak into the ministry of Christianity today. And, and again, that's part of the dynamic of these types of conferences. You meet people, your mind expands, as it were, and you get to see what God is doing in and through his people nationally, globally. Yeah, I've been to a lot of meetings in my years here at Christianity Today, similarly, and, and there's these different kinds of meetings. I've been to some that were very clearly like, let's get together to X, like, let's get together, we're going to try to put together a statement. Other ones are, let's get, you know, much more uh, educational, let's learn X, let's get together and bring together the best minds and, and educate people about X, Y, or Z. And then I've been to some where literally it was, hey, I, uh, I know a bunch of people you know a bunch of people. Let's get all these cool people together and and have them get to know each other better. So uh, there's a guy, Mark Rogers, Capitol Hill guy. He's done you know he's done a lot of stuff over the years, but he's got this thing that he put together for a few years called the Great Objects Gathering, where he got together and the whole point was we want you guys to get to know each other, and you guys are are part of different ministries and you guys are part of different coalitions where it's really easy to talk about each other. Um, without actually knowing each other, and boy, th those were really those were really helpful meetings. Yeah, is, you mentioned those meetings where you're getting cool people together. I, frankly, Ted, I've never been invited to those meetings. But... <laughs> I didn't say they were all cool people. I said they were. Harold's like, if I was not there. Involved. That's suspect. <laughs> they were ministry involved people. I wasn't invited, so it wasn't only cool people. Invited. But here's the bottom line, and, and you know, I could be agnostic uh, about conferencing because of the time commitment and the cost of conferencing. 
part of my role is to look at our bottom line. And so uh, conferences cost us time and money. And yet, again and again and again, the payoff, if you will, is not in the bottom line. It's in the people we meet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, obviously, we need to be selective. But to me, again, it's one of the dynamics of evangelicalism, and that is bringing not necessarily always like-minded people together. They are committed to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But after that, how they give expression to their faith is different. Certainly, Billy did this. Others have done this. John Stott. Bringing uh, groups together to engage, to meet, to get to know, so that together we can move for kingdom purposes. Just this last week, there were a few other conferences that were a little bit in this vein. Uh, Mark Galley is not on this podcast uh, because one of the places he was was at this thing called the uh, the Faith Angle Forum. Uh, we wrote a big article about these Faith Angle Forums in CT a couple years ago. You can find that article. They used to be run by a guy named Mike Cromerty. Um, now they're run by uh, Pete Wayner. And uh, the whole point there was to bring together like key journalists, go down to Key West and bring together key kind of uh, faith leaders to and, and the faith leaders would have these kind of really interesting presentations about current faith issues. And but it was get these journalists to get to know typically Christian leaders. This one was this year was a little more focused on on uh, Muslim uh, issues. But man, that has been so productive so that these journalists know, oh, I kind of know where exactly. these, these, you know, where Tim Keller's coming from. Oh, I kind of know where uh, I know a guy I can call about this issue. They've been super helpful. Uh, and so th- it's not only just like your ministry and my ministry can get together. It's also the, the social capital that you can build between different different types of people as well. So the, the conveners of those is key. I, have you Have either of you guys ever read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, it was a New Yorker piece, the, uh, yeah, the six degrees of Lois Weisberg. No, I have not. Oh, it, that's fine. It's a great piece. 1999. Uh, it became the tipping point. Talk about all those different people. The, yes, the mavens and, and the people who really are able to connect various people together and end up being not famous themselves, but they exert, uh, they exert a huge amount of influence just exactly. in who the they network. can bring together. Yeah. Getting outside of the office getting outside of our world and opening ourselves up to other voices. I mean, it sounds so simplistic. It's like 101. But the reality is that, to me, is the greatest benefit of these, uh, among other things, because they can give shape to my faith. And frankly, because of my role in this ministry, it also gives shape to the vision of Christianity today. I may hear things that I think, you know what, that is a direction we need to go. And then we need to pray over that direction. So, because th- this, these are the women and men we're trying to reach with our content. So, to me, uh, conferences, I know, again, for many, they just sort of bring a, a sigh. But uh, you choose the right conference, I think it can be transforming. We've had some discussions on here about what is the purpose of a magazine. And I guess you could ask the same for, like, what is the purpose of a conference? And Mark is kind of known for saying that people read magazines because they want to kind of feel validated by the magazine that they're reading. And to some extent, I think that's kind of true for conferences as well. I don't know if many of us go in this at the same posture as you, Harold, is actively trying to be exposed to different ideas. Sometimes we just kind of want what we were looking for, like already repeated back to us, which also, I would, since we're going to be talking about conferences this whole time, so last week was Together for the Gospel, which is this conference that takes place on an every other year basis, um, and it's very popular in reform circles. And it was really interesting. 
this conference occurred the week after an MLK at 50 conference occurred with, I would say, overlapping individuals at both conference in terms of both of them kind of represented expressions of the reformed movement. But especially with this T4G conference last week, which attracts a tremendous amount of pastors, thousands of pastors attend this particular conference. This year, it really seemed like it was important for um, the folks at Together for the Gospel to challenge their constituents on areas of race. And so there were talks that were given by David Platt, who used to lead the International Missions Board, which is the missions agency of the Southern Baptists. And there was another talk by Legan Duncan also about race as well. And I thought that was just interesting when you have people who are directly part of the movement also deciding that they're going to turn up the heat on their own movement, which isn't always something that you'll see at conferences. Sometimes conferences are just kind of encouragement of the status quo, I think. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'll push back on that a little bit. Evangelicalism has a long history of having conferences. So you think about, you know, we talked about the, the Berlin Congress on, on World Evangelization, the Lausanne Movement, but you go back earlier than that, and you've got, well, let's talk about the very beginning, like the, the Great Awakening. Um, the Great Awakening was this series uh, of revival meetings, and largely those are going to be done by revivalists who want to, like, <laughs> a revival meeting doesn't work if it's not, like, someone up there, the revival is pushing your buttons and challenging you and telling you, you are falling way, 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 way short in these areas, and then offering, and here's the, the solution is in Jesus. Similarly, a couple hundred years later, you know, before any of our times, a uh, hundred years ago plus, you had uh, this huge outgrowth of these uh, Bible conference movements. So, you know, Winona Lake in Indiana, you had Northfield, Forest Home out in California, uh, a number of places where the point was you had to go away, kind of pseudo vacation, hear these great Bible teachers. But again, the idea was you're going to be challenged. There's almost like a boot camp aspect to some of the teaching. It's going to be hard, and you're and and you're going to come uh, encounter with some of your own sinfulness, uh, and then you're going to be presented with the gospel at, at the same time. And to me, when I when I saw some of what David Platt was saying at uh, the T4G conference, boy, it really struck me as, as, as so similar to that kind of evangelical conference history. As journalists, I would argue we need to show up at these conferences looking for stories, being open for surprise, uh, so that in turn we can report uh, back to our readers what has in fact surprised us. So with that in mind, we, we've mentioned the 1966 Berlin Conference. What was the surprise there? Billy Graham had Oral Roberts on the platform. This was at a time when evangelicalism or the denominational makeup of evangelicalism was, was being determined. The Pentecostal church was being represented there. And that actually irritated a number of other platform individuals. And yet, Billy put his stamp of approval, and he said, we are evangelicals. We, as in Pentecostals, Wesleyans, Presbyterians, all of that. And then Luzon, the reframing of missions in 74, the 1040 window in 89. All of this shook the mission world, and yet it also advanced missions in the name of Christ. So these are the surprises that, in fact, have come out of some of those uh, better conferences, if you will. But again, I think in each of these cases, if we are eager to see what God is doing, then we have to approach these conferences in that sense of eagerness. So uh, that's why I'm a, I'm a firm supporter of conferences. Again, the right conference. Right. Well, this episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. 
You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. I want to talk a little about well, the right conferences, and I want to talk a little bit about it's been a while since CT was in the mode of putting together um, international, you know, ridiculous high work uh, things like this. Uh, 60, there's a reason, like, there's yeah. a reason we only did it once, uh, yeah. uh, you know, in 1966, and, and it uh, bankrupted us uh, then. But who you invite, how, how you invite these things, I, I've been thinking a lot about that because, I mean, it really is the social capital, right? And you don't want the 1%. Getting, getting richer and just saying, hey, all you people who are already pseudo-famous, let's connect you with other people who are pseudo-famous so that you can all just increase each other's social capital. And there's that question of how do you make sure that you're including those voices that can challenge? And also, there's not just the same, you're seeing the same people at each meeting. At this meeting, without saying who was there, there were some clear efforts to do that. I, you were just at Q Morgan. I, I know there's efforts to broaden both the who's on the platform and who's attending. Uh, going back to this 1966, there's a lot of kind of famous moments uh, about that 1966 conference uh, on world evangelization. But one of the ones that kind of gets forgotten is Bill Pinnell uh, gets up there and and uh, African American evangelical leader, and he delivers a, a really strong talk about the difficulties of being an African American evangelical evangelist and how much you get you get hit from all sides on that. And a call, a strong call for uh, American evangelicals to be much more eager to talk about black evangelicals and to listen to. And he gives a strong challenge, especially to kind of the um, the argument that a lot of evangel- the white evangelicals were making at the time of political questions, race questions, social justice questions um, are not appropriate for the church. Um, and he was speaking more from uh, his experience and saying, that's crazy. That is, that, is, that is crazy talk. And that's not gospel. That's not evangelism. If the good news is not good news for the poor or good news for, for, the, for, for black people. It's a, I mean, you can you know, Google it. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great talk. It kind of has gotten forgotten. But man, I'll tell you, if we had listened a little bit more to Bill Pinnell in 1966, uh, we'd be doing a lot better in, in 2018. Boy, I, yeah, I resonate with that. And I would say right now we're at a tipping point. In fact, this thought was going through my mind as we were attending this meeting nearby. Those of us who have been empowered and, and tend to be the same ones invited to these conferences over and over again, I think the tipping point is we need to hear more of these voices from the African-American community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, the Native American community. And frankly, we heard those voices this past week. But I'm thinking that we need to hear more and more and more about this because this is the direction of the church in the years to come. I think in this regard, uh, the Murdoch Charitable Trust in the Northwest has a leadership conference 
every uh, every fall, and uh, it is filled with lesser-known individuals. It's attended by lesser-known individuals, but these are gen- generally millennials who are making a difference in the Northwest. And when they engage you in conversation in workshops, you realize, first of all, again, God is at work, but in ways I could never have imagined. We need to continue to turn the platform over to these women and men in the days ahead, because again, we have to be attentive to how God is directing his people. And if I have a concern right now, it's we need to get the same olds off the platform, and we need to hear new voices who are following the king in new and exciting ways. Yeah, I would agree with that, except I also, I, boy, I, I'd, I'd be really reluctant. I think we need, there, there is a, a wise role for elders. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm not denying that, Ted. I'm not denying that whatsoever. Uh, at the same time, though, I want to make sure that, uh, and I'm feeling more and more like one, but, <laughs> but uh, that the elders also give place to the newer voices. Even those newer voices that may make us feel uncomfortable. I'm just thinking of, of some of the voices we heard this week. There are a couple times I'm just kind of squirming in my chair, but rather than shaking a fist, I think what we have to do is simply stop and say, okay, Lord, what is it you want me to hear here? Where have I unwittingly contributed to the problem that this woman, this man is talking about? Yeah, one thing that I would just bring up that I don't want to like conflate two things, the summit, if you will, that you both attended this past week. From what I understand, there was not a registration fee involved to participate in it. It was an invite-only closed room. You almost kind of feel honored to be there type of thing. It was leveraging that there. Whereas there is, you know, the evangelical conference machine, if you will, that, you know, there's tons of money that is involved with that. So in some ways, a closed-door event to some extent, it's a little bit easier to bring in different names, um, depending on who the convener is. Um, whereas these other ones where, you know, they sell tickets in the hundreds of dollars, like the conference that I attended last week, I think the price tag was in the 400 to $500 range. You know, there's always going to be an d- incentive to pick kind of the, the stars, if you will. And that can be difficult when you have financial concerns. And, and it's weird then, too, right, about how almost capitalism in some ways can drive the priorities of the church which is a crazy situation to be in, you know? I I just had lunch with my pastor, and we actually talked about that very point. And the reality is, I understand why you want a name speaker. If you're pouring thousands of dollars into a conference, you want a name speaker, Mm -hmm. you want a draw. Yep. But, But I just pray that with the name speaker, the organizers are also bringing women and men, in this case, let's say millennials, who, in fact, have a word for Christ's church today. And I think they have to make the effort, go the second and third miles, to find those women and men. Because the reality, at some point, it will be those women and men who will be directing the church. So uh, let's hear from them now. Let's help them. Let's engage their message. And if need be, critique it, help them shape it for the life of the church going forward. Again, that's why I say, I think in some ways, I, I left the meeting thinking we're, we're sort of at a tipping point here. So anyway, I think there are these financial tensions here, but I pray that we don't lose sight of, of the possibilities uh, that I think conferencing brings to the church as a whole. I'm trying to think of the, the conferences I've been to that are the most helpful and the conferences I've gone to that are, are less helpful. And a lot of it is just really about trust. And, and is it clear what 
is it clear the shared value we have? Now, a lot of the reason a lot of those Billy Graham ones that we were talking about earlier were successful is you had a strong, unifying, massive thing where everyone there felt like a friend of Billy Graham. And it's like, oh, well, if you're here, then Billy in some ways probably vouched for you. And so clearly we have something in common. And I would say, you know, we talk about what is evangelicalism, and that was one of the themes of this conference this week. You can talk about evangelicalism as a, a shared set of largely theological values. That's one. Of, that's the way that CT mostly likes to talk about it. You can talk about it sociologically. One big part of it is really, truly just this network of friendships that, hey, I know you or I know this other person that you know. Uh, there's a shared, There are shared values, but there's also just shared friendships. That's been really key. So for these conferences to work and for these networks to work, there needs to be just immediately recognized shared value and trust and something to rally to. I'll give one negative example. I went to a conference mid-90s, late-90s that had been uh, created as, and the only billing that this conference had had, had was, let's create uh, an alternative to the religious right. Well, who showed up to that? Well, it was like 10,000 people, not 10,000 people, but ten, a, a couple hundred people with 10,000 ideas of how to combat the religious right and why to combat the religious right. A number of people were there because they didn't like the religious part of the religious right. Well, the organizers of that conference included a lot of very, very conservative people who just didn't like the politicization of uh, evangelicalism. And so there was a disconnect between all the people at the table saying like, wait, why are we talking about abortion? I thought we were, you know, anti-religious right. Why are we talking about sexual ethics? I thought we were anti-religious right. And that meeting fell apart. Now, the organizers of that meeting tried again a couple years later created a, a kind of a positive vision for what they were trying to do, and it went much better, ended up being a much, uh, a much more effective conference over the, over the next uh, few iterations. But you have to say, like, here's, here's, here's why we're glad we're here, and here's what, we, here's what we're really passionate about, and we may not know each other yet, but boy, I, I know that you like this, and, and, and we're friends. Ideally, that is, that is Jesus, and a specific view of Jesus in theory, it should be easy to be like, you're a friend of Jesus? I'm a friend of Jesus. We've got that in common. Of course, it's messier than that. And sometimes you're like, yeah, what do you mean you're a friend of Jesus? Which, <laughs> which Jesus are you a friend of? I'm not yeah. sure. But, yeah. it, um, but ideally, that's, those, that's how these conferences work best. I'm hoping that from this point on, and see, this, is, this was the wonder of, uh, I think, Billy's involvement with Luzon. It truly was a display of the Revelation 7 sort of dynamic you know, every language, every tribe, every country. And I think one of the things that in conferences in North America, certainly global conferences, but in North America especially, we have to uh, make sure that the women and men in attendance really do give a reflection of the church. Uh, And I've been overwhelmed just recently. And again, I thought about this during our time uh, down the street. And that is, you know, if in John 17, our Lord said, you know, by this, basically, they will know we are one, that they are one. And what he was talking about there is a church made up of multitudes of people. And, and when the world sees that, they see the oneness that we have in Christ. And what a powerful testimony that can, that can lead to. So I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but it is an observation I wanted to make. One thing that's interesting about the history of, I would say, like Billy Graham evangelicalism is it coincides with the ability of people to be able to take commercial air flights oh, yeah. places and like that you can have like a speaking circuit that you like speak at all these conferences and then like you can convene international leaders they can all fly there they don't have to take a boat to get there i don't at all like think that that's 
bad, but it is interesting, you know, to the extent to which people might begin to find their tribe and it's not based on geography, right? I mean, we talk a lot about the importance of being able to be like rooted in a local church and with that is the assumption that there's like geographic proximity as part of that. And so what happens, you know, when we create these like structures that end up being like pretty formative as this whole podcast is about to the movement, but they're about bringing people together who don't actually live together, don't necessarily work together, don't attend the same church together. You know, that is, I think that there's a way to see it as both like this really cool expression of the unity of the body of Christ and also hopefully not just turning into something where we are finding more in common with these people, you know, that we see a couple times a year than with the people that we go to church with on Sunday. Agreed. Although I would say that that's, that has enabled things like Lausanne and the uh, Congress on World Evangelization, but you had huge precedents for that in uh, with other forms of transportation before. There's a great book, and I'm blanking on the name right now. We've, we've talked about it at CT. I'll try to put it in the show notes uh, about how important um, really good boats, uh, ships were for creating tra- <laughs> trans-denominational relationships in the pre-Revolutionary War era. That the reason that C- the reason that America had all of these multi-denominational movements and also really good relationships between you know Presbyterians and, and Methodists and these and these folks is because these folks had spent all this time on on this boat together, getting to know each other and saying, "Oh, you're not you're not a dang heretic. You're yeah. you, you're you're praying the same prayer as I am." And that's a su- great book. Uh, but also, if you think about this, the circuit writers. And a lot of these folks, yes, they're dealing with small communities, but it's the same guy, right? It's it's Asbury writing from town to town to town, same kind of celebrity, same saying, hey, I just came from this, you know, this place in Kentucky. I just came from this place in Alabama. And he's sharing these stories and people are having shared experiences across locations. There's kind of an American evangelical transcendence of place. And again, I don't want to overblow that because there's a lot of ways in which that doesn't happen. But there's an evangelical transcendence of place in the evangelical movement that's key. And conferences, uh, revival meetings, um, all of these things, they are super important for, A, creating this idea that there is a thing as America, but also creating an idea that there's such a thing as there's a church that transcends uh, denominations. That's, that's, that's an evangelical thing that has been huge in American evangelism since the 1700s. That's a great historical note, Ted. Harold, do you want to just give us some final words? I'm again reminded again of the critical importance of uh, conferencing. I just in, in lieu of your question, I, I would say that obviously the local church is critically important in a sense. That's conferencing every Sunday or Saturday Fair. night. Yeah. But what conferences allow me to do, allow us to do, is engage the broader church and also helps me remember there is a broader church. You know, sometimes we can be so myopic, we focus on, on our ministry, our church, all very good. But the reality is God is alive on the planet. And so being able to periodically connect with that and even bring suggestions, ideas, observations back to the local church can, I think, just help us grow in Christ. So I would say I'm a, a, a avid proponent of, of conferencing because I think it can build up the local body. So go to church and go to conferences. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for participating in this great discussion that we had. As always, you can give us feedback. We are on Twitter at CT Podcast. You can send us an email with feedback at podcast at christianitytoday.com.
All right, now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, which is what everyone shares something that is bringing them joy. All right, Ted. Said it before, I'm going to say it again. My board game group is fantastic. It's been more than a month since we were able to get together and play games. We played Terraforming Mars, went on for four hours, and it was awesome. So much joy. I mean, you know, we've got this uh, article coming up in CT about how hard it is for men to have close friendships. And then a lot of times you need to do something other than just like say, hey, we should get together and become closer friends. You need kind of a thing. And man, board game board game night. I just The whole time I was editing this thing, I was like, I'm so glad I have my board game, guys. And uh, hey, you guys got to go on retreats too. We do. We, go, we, we occasionally go overnight and play board games. So, uh, you know, this uh, article coming out in CT, it talks a lot about, you know, Physical activity stuff. It can be. It can. It can be board games too. It can be anything. But <laughs> go if you don't have friends, just find something. Find what. What do you like? Go find other guys that like that and go do it. Because man, it it will change your life. It's great. I love it. Ted, are you? I am at Ted Olson on Twitter. Okay. And, uh, Ted yeah. should start tweeting about board games more. I'm thinking there should be a conference on board games. There, there's, there's a few of them. In fact, I'm thinking about going to one this weekend. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Harold's like a whole new world here. Okay, Harold, what's bringing you joy? Well, I probably shouldn't say this because I think right now it's snowing uh, here in April. But, but. on uh, but on Friday, I was uh, privileged to be, actually, uh, I was uh, meeting with a supporter of our ministry um, in Marcos Island in Florida. And so here's How do you what, get to Marcos Island, Harold? Uh, <laughs> you fly to Key West. All right. All right. Okay. But here, here's the joyful moment. And it was uh, really just standing on the beach with him. And evidently, the conditions have to be just right looking out at the Pacific when you see a sunset. And I don't know. Wait, Atlantic? The, no, this is Pacific. Or this is Atlantic. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. And... Uh, Anyways, the, uh, the conditions have to be just right. So when the sun sets, all of a sudden, you see uh, an explosive green spark. And he, we saw it. That's awesome. That night. And he saw it for only the third time. He's lived on the island for 25 years. So just seeing that as the sun was setting over the Atlantic, the power of God, the wonder of his creation. And you're just really uh, just kind of literally, figuratively awash with that. So that's what brought me joy this week. Harold, are you on social media and you want our listeners to know about that? Well, Harold Smith CT on Twitter. Okay. And although I confess that I, I only check it periodically. So, uh, but that's where I could be reached. All right. My precious moment. I've had a lot of really great experiences with friends lately. The one that I'll pick for this podcast is I had breakfast this morning with a former guest of Quick to Listen, John Wilson who I was really touched because most of our listeners know that I currently in this challenge to only read books by or about Native Americans. And John told me that he made me this really long list, but that not only did he make me a long list, he brought books for me um, by this Native American author. And I was very touched that he remembered that. That sounds like John. John used to be the head of Books and Culture, a literary magazine that we used to publish here. And so anyway, I thought that was just made me feel special and known in that way. And of course, we just had a lot of good discussion, um, particularly around what other people think that we're doing things that are because we're afraid and whether or not we're actually doing them because we're afraid or not, and just kind of judging fear motives on each other. It was a good discussion. All right. I'm on Twitter at MEP 
A-Y-N-L. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself, Cray Allred, and Richard Clark. You can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, almost anywhere you want to get a podcast, you can find Quick to Listen there. Again, this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And you can become a subscriber too by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. We'll see you all next week. <music>